This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, the nicer versions of Statler and Waldorf from the Muppets, Kara Shamborski. That's a lie. Hello. <laughs> and Renee Rodriguez. It's definitely a lie because I spent like 20 minutes trying to come up with like decent jokes to uh-huh. try and make a Statler and Waldorf impression to do the left. Like, whoa, ho, 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 And I got nothing. <laughs> and I'm really upset with you, Mike, about this because of my own failures. So how nice can we be? Or me. Wow. Wow. Um, well, I didn't really mean to open this episode as a as a you opened up a blown, can of worms, bro. It's a full blown therapy session now. But uh, before we get too <laughs> deep into that, uh, we do have one quick announcement. Episode three hundred is coming next week. It's going to be a huge episode in terms of announcements and various interesting super cuts of uh, a very fun set of little interviews that we've been doing with everyone on the show so i hope you're all excited for next week make sure you are on the discord we are trying to get as many people as possible we might be doing a q a if enough people show up i'm just going to say that so live q a potential that might go into the episode we'll see but regardless it's going to be a huge episode full of announcements and other fun stuff mike me i should say me <laughs> nick and paul are going to be on the episode it's going to be awesome so Let's get into things. Let's talk about comic books. Comic books are awesome. <laughs> and so are you. Renee, you are throwing me off. I'm sorry. I'm just loud. I'm you just, know what else is awesome? When the show ends. Oh, oh man. <laughs> I did this. Yes! I did this. <laughs> Don't make uh, a Muppets reference unless you're ready to commit, Mike. Uh, well, uh, Mikey the Rappin' here, uh, we are going to be doing, uh, talking about comic books today, and I have, uh, two legally mandated questions that I have to ask you, uh, how have you been and how have comic books been? That's a really Let's spot start with on. you, Kara. Kara, go ahead. Kermie, you know I don't have time to read right now. I'm practicing my puzzle. Oh, no. <laughs> Alright, so I read, I read a book this week that okay. I... <laughs> on my list for a few weeks ago um when i was on the show last month i was really excited about a batman the animated series continues comic starring the huntress and i called the local comic shop and they were like that's definitely not out yet and i'm like okay mm-hmm. well here's the info so now i'm a liar on the show and i'd like this book please and they actually never called me back but i was fortunately in the store uh last week and saw there it was on the shelf and i'm like you motherfuckers never called me back but i got the last one and i bought it mm-hmm. and i read it and it's so this series this is my first uh dive into this batman the animated series continues uh comic and it's interesting because they're kind of towing this line between what the show actually was when it was airing on cartoon network and the potential for being perhaps a little bit more adult like some of the dc animated universe stuff has been like there was some yeah there was some more um like the the art style and the conversational tone is the same as the show but there's like a little more cursing and uh huntress is a character who just like straight up murders people like her conflict with batman is always that batman draws the line at killing people and huntress Mm -hmm. is like nope they're on my list here's my crossbow in their face and now they're gone and so you don't actually see her murder anybody on on panel but um it definitely happens and Mm -hmm. they do not dance around that at all and that is just something that they would i don't think ever have gotten away with on children's television right but 
as someone who likes Huntress in in the comics where they are able to be more adult, this was kind of a happy medium of if I had I had had this comic as a child, I kind of been like, wait, this is darker than what I'm used to. <laughs> um, but I, I thought it was cute. I don't know if I'd necessarily like pull the series, pull, pull the issues every month, but for like a one shot thing where I just wanted to get a little Batman fix, it was great. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I when you said this is more adult, I was like, is Kevin Conroy going to say the F word? And then I realized that it's it's a comic book and there are no voices. I'm sure uh, so. somewhere there's a recording of Kevin Conroy saying fuck. And then we can just splice Alfred. that in. Fuck. <laughs> I was talking about my potty mouth. Yeah, I mean, all right. Uh, <laughs> Renee, what about you? How have you been? How have comic books been? Uh, well, first, wacka wacka. Uh, I've been fine. Um... <laughs> I'm so mad that I started this. I can't even explain it. <laughs> Look, this might be the best day of my life. So, um... <clears throat> anyway, uh, I've been good. Comics have been good. Uh, I haven't been real. I've gone through a lot of changes in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. Sorry, that just came out, Doctor Phil. Uh, I was waiting for like David Bowie's changes to come in. No, but what go happened ahead. was because I used to make this joke in college, but Doctor Phil just said the same thing twice. So it was like, in order to make changes in your life, you need to make changes in your life. And apparently, <laughs> wow. that was so embedded that I was like, "There's lots of changes in my life." Uh-huh. Just came out, uh, but I mm-hmm. got a new job and I moved, and so I've been real busy. So I haven't read too much. Uh, so I read Mao, volume number one, story and art by Rumiko Takahashi. And this is the author of Rama One Half and Inuyasha. Oh. So, it's her new series. Uh, she's crushing it. It's still about uh, Exorcist and Ayakashi, or demons. And Mike, before you even get there, I'm aware it's different when it's, you know, there's no creepy music and weird lighting, okay? It's just on a panel. It's just in black yeah. and white. I can dig that. Yeah. And it's a repeated okay. formula, but also it's really good. Like, I, well, I mean, not really good, but I, I, I don't know yet. I've only read volume one, but I like it. I'm going to keep reading it. So I'll keep you the updated. Cover, the cover looks really cool. I don't think I knew that that creator did both Ranma one half and Inuyasha. Oh, yeah. She's got a, a ton of stuff, too. You're like, oh, they did that as well. Wow. Huh. It's incredible. And like, I, I like their stuff. Is They're really good. And I'm like, so I'm just like, yeah, of course I will pick up your new series. Absolutely. You're mm-hmm. cru- you've been crushing it for like 20 years, maybe 30. I don't know. I'm bad with time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the point is they're crushing it. I like it already. So I'm going to keep reading it and I will keep you guys up to date on my feelings about it. The other series I read was Can't You Just Die My Darling, uh, volume number six and seven. I've been reading this on Kindle Unlimited. Um, nice. Story by Maduro Kaname and art by Soso Sakakibara. And it's got major Tokyo ghoul vibes. And so it's it's basically like people are being infected with this disease that makes it so that you want to kill the person you're in love with. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So like you're no. so overcome with love that you're just like, I really, really love you and I really, really want to kill you. No, that's okay. <laughs> Twilight oh, no. already did that. So Yeah. So it's it gets real intense and there's also lots of like organizations going on and also like if your love is so intense, you get powers, but you know, also twilight, also twilight, yeah. Renee. <laughs> Look, We've so already far, been here as a people. Here's the thing though. 
at least the translator can speak English. Um, <clears throat> Whoa. <laughs> what? <laughs> let's let's just keep I think, I think he's making a commentary about Stephanie Meyer's writing style, which Shabam. burn Renee. Burn Renee. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Anyway, uh, I'm, I kind of like this series. I've been reading it kind of slowly over the past couple months. And it's like only got like 13 volumes or something like that. Mm. Um, so I'm getting through it slowly but surely. It's it's enough that I want to keep coming back. I want to know what happens at the end, but I'm, I, it's nothing to write home about. But it's enough to talk about on your podcast, I guess. Hmm. Uh, sick burn on on the show, I guess. <laughs> He's still still going for Sattler Waldorf, not quite not quite getting the ooh, oh. ooh part. No, it's I just do. more of a, like a like is he an asshole vibe? And uh, you know the jury's still out. Although I think we're weighing in on one side. <laughs> Is this uh, what you want to mup- be cultivating right now when Mike's about to share his picks? No, not really. <laughs> what have you been I can reading, only do, Mike? I can only do one Muppet impression, and you already heard it. It's Kermit. It's Kermit the Frog. Um, and so that's you as much as I'm going to try. You don't got Gonzo uh, or Rizzo up your sleeve? I, I don't know if I could do a Rizzo. I, I don't know. It, that's it, pretty it, excellent. That was, that was Listen, pretty good. We're going right off the cuff here. I wasn't prepared to do Muppet impressions today. Uh, <laughs> I just spit all over my computer. Okay. Well, I did read a couple of books. I've been doing all right, all things considered. I feel like I've been trying to read as much comics as possible and feeling like I read none. And then I look back over everything that I've read and I go, wow, I read a lot of comics, but I don't want to talk about any of them because oh. none of them were that interesting. I had a really weird week with comics where nothing was really like stand out with the exception of these two comics. Um, I read Coliseum volumes one through three. This is like Coliseum, but with a G. I don't know why. Um, this is by Yasushi Baba. It's published by Kadansha. And I grabbed, I checked, I saw that this was on sale as part of like a big comicsology Kadansha sale that was happening. But it turns out the first six uh, volumes of seven are all on CU. I don't know if this is an ongoing series uh, or what, but nonetheless, I checked out the first volume and then I couldn't stop reading and I read the second and I read the third. Ultimately, my thoughts are, I don't know if this is a good manga or a bad manga, but I keep reading it okay. because it is it keeps amping itself up in the in terms of ridiculousness where before you even ask me any questions, I just need to give you the synopsis, right? The world has changed in some capacity where a person who is clearly Vladimir Putin, but not his name is like Vladislav Putinov or something. Mm. And he looks exactly like Vladimir Putin Mm. has discovered these bracelets that he can give to people, including himself that make you essentially unkillable by other physical objects with the exception of other human fists or skin or by being dropped to the ground via a suplex. So he gives these bracelets to his like closest army officials and then they also found a way to turn you into like a nine foot tall pack of muscles and uh the only way these people can be killed is by literally being suplexed onto their neck um so the whole idea is that the world starts to get these things like a person from japan comes to there, a person in america finds them and they end up creating these super soldiers very similar to kieran gillen's like uber and uh they just keep finding each other in various places where they have to fight and they are doing this special form of jujutsu which is you do a backflip and suplex someone wow Uh, it's really fucking weird i was gonna say somebody call one punch man and just come in and clear all this up i know right exactly i think i need to read this yeah it's it's a lot it's very weird i mean it's extremely hyper big big huge beefy men and extremely busty disproportionate women 
And, you know, it's kind of all the things that you would expect out of like almost hyper-sexualized manga, but there is no sex. It's just combat. But again, it's these people are huge and they do fighting and every there's an allegory to like every major leader um, in like the world powers, like the leader of the United States is Chillery Quintone or something like that. And it's Hillary Clinton. It looks nothing like Hillary Clinton. But the world is also divided up in a way that isn't what you would expect. Like China is only like a fraction of its size because Russia has taken over a bunch of it, but also Mongolia is its own country. And like, it's kind of weird. Again, there's like all these questions about the world and I just keep reading it because I'm like, well, what else could you throw at me? That's going to be weird. And there's like this ongoing mini series of bonus chapters at the end of each volume where the Vladimir Putin character has given these bracelets to various animals because his whole goal is to ride these animals. He just wants to ride a giant bear or a di- giant squid or a giant moose. And then, oh yeah, this is how I figured out the series is over. It's ended at seven volumes because this same creator went on to make a manga series that is ongoing about a Russian guy who wants to ride every animal he can get atop of. The bigger, the better. And that's his whole thing. I'm sure there's some sort of weird something else to this but um nonetheless it's a it's a weird book and i i kept uh keep reading it so i'll report back once i finished it because at this point i'm three volumes deep out of seven mm-hmm. i gotta yeah so <laughs> yeah i just put volume one on my uh tablet so okay let me know what you think renee <laughs> yeah i mean i was looking at i was listening intently to everything you were saying while also looking at just images of this on google and yeah yeah, do yourself a favor, listener, and uh, just do a quick Google search of this series, and you will be probably as shocked as I was and as curious as I yeah. was. And, you know, just while you're at it, eat your favorite junk foods while you're reading this book. Just get all the junk out there. You know? <laughs> um, I'm, just, I'm so the, excited to read this now. Yeah, I really am excited to, to hear your report back. <laughs> so um, let me know. But uh, the other book I do want to talk about really quick is Roughneck by Jeff Lemire. Uh, I think this is three weeks in a row that someone has brought up a Jeff Lemire book, either as a pick or as something they read. So I apologize, listeners. We just the guy's prolific. I'm a really big sucker for Jeff Lemire's work. I'm sure everybody out there who listens to the show knows that. Um, But long story short is this is a story about a very shitty person and his terrible life caused by his own bad choices on top of like you are constantly asking the question of like, does, did this person choose this life for themselves or was it put upon them because of the life that they led based off of how their parents were, how his parents were and uh, just some of the choices that they made. And I'm a huge sucker for stories like this, where it's an asshole character who's trying to redeem themselves. And uh, I will ultimately say this book got me right in the gut at the end. It's, it's a fantastic end. And uh, if you like Sweet Tooth, you'll love this book. I'll just say that. It's not as gruesome as Sweet Tooth because it's very much based in reality. But Lemire really, really hits you and pulls on every single emotional string you've got. And sometimes you need that. And this book, very good. And it's beautiful as a hardback. Holy shit. Uh, I grabbed this from the library and it's it's just a fantastic looking book. I need to get a copy of it for myself. Um, But that's me. I don't know. There's probably more I could say about Roughneck, but we'll move on. Let's <laughs> let's talk about uh, we're we're changing the format of the show a little bit. This is kind of a peek behind the curtain for episode 300 about some of the changes we're making for our comic picks and stuff like that. We're no longer going to be aiming towards like comic picks. Instead, we're going to be kind of aiming at 
what is just the next item on your to-read pile, whether it's a book that's coming out this upcoming week or just something that's been sitting on your shelf. We're changing the name of this little section to what's on the top of your pile. For all of our patron supporters out there, you may recognize this is something we post on our Patreon every week where you can see what comic books people on or off the episode that week are reading next. Sometimes that changes between now and you know when we record and when the actual um, post goes out. But nonetheless, we're going to be asking the question now, what's on the top of your pile? Comic books are coming out on September 29, 2021. Renee, what are you excited for? And we're, I guess, what are you reading next? Well, um, first off, I would like to say that it's very rude to just try and put me on the spot like this. Um, oh. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We do this every week, <laughs> Renee. Job, Renee. <laughs> what are you reading, Renee? Yeah, what are you reading? I actually, I don't know how to say the title of this. It's just okay. the letter P six times. Yeah, I think it's huh. P, 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 P. Yeah, I'm just going to call it P from now on. That sounds good. I like that. Uh, but it's a, so I also don't know how to say this author's names, but I think it's Mapolo or maybe it's Mapolo. I don't know. Mapolo okay. three, you know, um, but, uh, it's a new manga and it is about septuplets that are born to a piano genius and six of them are prodigies and one is not. And it becomes oh. such a huge problem in their family that the parents actually get divorced. And the one that is not a prodigy lives with his mom because she believes that he, you know, can still play piano and that it's okay if he's not a prodigy. And the dad's mm -hmm. like, no, absolutely not. He's mediocre. Don't let him play. And it's sad. This, this just started in Shonen Jump, right? Yeah. Yeah. Chapter two is happening. So chapter two is the one that I'm excited about because I actually okay. read chapter one and, you know, through the tears, I was like, um, yeah, I like this. It's sad, <laughs> but I dig it. Right. So, I, I think some folks on our Discord right. were talking about this, said this was pretty good. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see where it's going to go. And so I, I, I'm ready to fall in love again, Mike, with, uh, with some manga. <laughs> okay. I want to okay. go through the journey. I want to go through the tears and the excitement and the, you know, just the, the art and this, the storytelling. I'm ready. Well, I'm ready. I'm ready to be heard again. Okay. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to hear that you're talking about this because I was, I was going to read this book, um, but I kept putting it off. But the, if you're excited about it, I'm going to check it out. I mean, it's I'll only been out for a that. week, so I mean, I know, I know, <laughs> but I was going to wait. I was just going to wait. But if you're I this mean, excited about it, I'm going to check it. I out. I mean, I don't know. I would honestly wait probably for three chapters just because. <laughs> I mean, then you Renee got... just finished saying like I'm ready to be hurt again. Like, are you real? That's the pitch that won you over is. <laughs> Yes. Did you not? Did you not hear me talking about crying, reading Roughneck, a story about an <sighs> asshole who tries to redeem himself? I mean, this is the only way for for men these days to get out their emotions is through fiction, Kara. Okay. Ooh, that's honestly, so sad for all of you. Honestly, I if know. you want a really good tearjerker, like read Haikyuu. Although, like, it definitely mm. helps if you like really played sports. There's this one arc where like one team loses and the captain's just like, please just let me play one more game. And he's like in tears oh. screaming at the sky. Oh, that God. one always gets me. I'm in, that's I'm a good, tearing that's a good up moment. right now at the moment. Uh, oh, well, well oh let's, my. let's let Renee sit with that. Uh, <laughs> and Kara, tell us what you're excited about this upcoming week or in the near future. What's on the top of your pile? Yeah. I finally got around to getting that uh, black widow series that Kelly Thompson wrote. The trade mm. of the first volume came out earlier this year, and I love me a good semi-self-contained Black Widow story. So yeah. I am excited to finally read this one. Good. And when, I, 
uh, once you finish reading that, you can listen to me and Brian talk about that because we just dropped the Goodreads Book of the Month episode because that happened to be our Goodreads Book of the Month Look for September. At that. It's all on Patreon. I, I know we're plugging Patreon a lot, but there's a lot of good shit out there, folks. <laughs> is there one artist on that book or is it like were there different ones through the run? There were like six credits on the page of this trade. Yeah. So I just okay. I just picked Kelly Thompson as the the, the consistent one. Okay. okay. I mean, I just know that this series was Eisner nominated, and I don't know. I really liked the the Phil Noto um, version from a few years mm-hmm. ago. So when I saw this, I was like, okay, well, how could it possibly top that art style? But let oh. me let me yeah. read a Black Widow story. Oh, this book! I heard about this. Yeah, book. yeah this looks incredible. I might pick mm-hmm. this up as well. So thank you, Kara. No. I, I will say, you know, without going too deep into the conversation that Brian and I had, this book feels like if you wanted something that wasn't the Black Widow movie, but felt like a good Black Widow story, like this one totally nails it. I think it's very, very good. Okay. Okay. I mean, I did. I did like the Black Widow movie. I thought I just was mad the whole time that, <laughs> you know, they they did it after the fact it's like we already know what happens mm-hmm. why are you doing mm-hmm. this to me that's how i felt but... about rogue one mm. all right all right i don't want to open that can of worms <laughs> um my pick for this week uh, i guess before i go into what i'm excited for uh, that's coming out uh we did have a fo- couple folks on discord give us their picks uh hugh said that they were excited for inferno number one slash the good asian number five i'm excited for both of those books this week too so Totally understandable there. And Danny said they're excited for Human Remains from Vault Comics. Is this a, I don't know if this is a graphic novel or a number one, but, um, you know, you can't really, can't really mess around. Danny says it's a new number one. So, okay, yeah, this looks, uh, should be fun. Vault Comics usually doesn't disappoint with their number ones, at least. Can't say the same for all of their completed series. <laughs> Got them. Uh, but my pick for this week... <laughs> I'm just going to be um, making jokes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. The book that I'm excited for, or whatever's on the top of my pile, sorry, still getting into this new vocal habit, uh, is Inferno Number 1 by Jonathan Hickman, Pencils and Inks by Valera Schiti, uh Colors by David Curiel, Letters by Clayton Coles. This is the culmination of Jonathan Hickman's X-Men, according to the solicit. Uh, my only notes are sure. Yeah. I thought- I thought Hickman has been writing X-Men since like the dawn of time. Like, has he not been writing this book at any point in the last 30 years? I feel like he's so always it's, on it. It's, well, he's he's been writing X-Men on and off for like the last few years with the House of X, Dawn of X. Some of the he's like basically stepped back to be like an architect versus an actual writer. I don't know what that means in terms of so like, like Jeff Johns over at DC. Yeah, kind of. But I think he's got a bit more hands on than Jeff Johns has been recently. Um, Like he's really just been kind of crafting this bigger story to make sure that all the points culminate back to this thing that they've been doing. And I think keeping everything in alignment with all of the seeds that he planted early on in House of X. It's a number one of four. Uh, which is cool by me, like like love me a good miniseries. The the point of this book seems to be that Mystique is very very mad that p- the X Men who have the ability to re or bring people back to life have not brought back her one and only love, Destiny. And the reason why is been very murky. Obviously, the X Men want to bring back all the mutants that have lost their lives over the years, but at the same time, Destiny is a precog. And there's a little bit of a snag here, because if you've read House of X and Powers of X, um, you know that the end of the X-Men or whatever the end of this House of X, Powers of X goal thing that 
Jonathan Hickman uh, setup is not a great one. I won't go into full details because I think everyone should read that. But um, having a precog who who can see the future very vividly like Destiny could, it might not work out so well for the X-Men. So I don't really know anything about the original Inferno. To me, this doesn't sound anything like what I know the original Inferno series was about. But that being said, it be it being very close to my birthday and also the fact that Inferno came out the same month and year as my birth, I feel like I should go back and reread the original series and just just so that I can say that I know. Um, I hate being that person sometimes, but uh, ultimately I'm I'm curious. But I, I feel like these aren't going to tie together, and that's fine. I just uh, I just want more X Men as always. Um, new X Men, really fun X Men, and this seems like it's going to be. Right up that alley. The same so, year and month? Yeah. So we've been doing that comic book birthday thing where like we take an episode and we find a comic book that's come out the year and the month that we were born. And every single time I see Inferno number one and I go, not this week. I'm going to pick something weird. Um, and all of them have been disappointments. Well, <laughs> with the exception of the Green Arrow book that I read actually felt like a really cool like everyone's smoking cigarette style 80s movie in florida which i so i kind of actually want to go back and reread that but otherwise <laughs> some of the other stuff we've read have been clunkers <laughs> um but inferno's on that list and I've, I've heard mixed reviews about inferno from other folks that have read that in the past so but i mean it's an x-men book during year and month you were born yeah 80 1988 yeah it's yeah, destiny yeah, yeah. the only inferno i want to see is the inferno resulting from burning all those bad books oh <laughs> With that, uh, we are going to take a quick break. <laughs> uh, uh, Michael, bef- bef- go on. Bef- before we get into the break, I do have to say we have an interview that's going to drop in the middle of the episode with uh, Francois Vinot and Michael Tanner for the book that they have coming out on October 5th, I want to say. Uh, this is for Orcs in Space. A co-creator on this series is Justin Roiland, who you may know from Rick and Morty. Um, but we spoke with Francois and, and Michael, and it was a fantastic time. I, I love talking to those guys very long very fun interview so check that out in the break and then when we come back we're going to talk about the disney manga stitch in the samurai volume one uh which is a whole heck of a lot of fun so we'll be right back mike i'm gonna play us out <laughs> oh okay okay do 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 manomena do 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 manomena have fun with that one xander this is this is my favorite bit of all time so today I am here talking with Francois Vignol and Michael Tanner, creators of the magnificent comic book coming from Oni Press called Orcs in Space. Volume 1 dropped on October 6th, so you guys should all check that out, either on Comixology, at your local comic book shop, wherever you get comics. Francois, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm, I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for having us on. Thank you, Mike. Um, I guess to get into things, could you both tell me a little bit about yourself? I guess, uh, Francois, could we tar- start with you? Uh, if, yeah, if you insist. Uh, I, so, I do. I absolutely do. <laughs> so I'm Francois Vigneault. I'm a comic book artist and uh, comic book writer, too. And I live in uh, Montreal in uh, Quebec in Canada, uh, the Great White North. And I'm originally from the U.S. And I've been doing graphic novels or comic books uh, for a long time, but uh, at different kind of levels and then orcs in space which is the series that i'm doing with michael and uh, a, a whole team of other collaborators is like my first like monthly comic that's coming out 
like in the normal comic book store every single month and you know is uh is that kind of vibe it's a little bit different cool and and michael yeah um let's see i'm a comic book writer uh living here in los angeles i do some other kind of minor stuff but i'm really for creative stuff i'm really focusing on comic book writing uh orcs in space is my first monthly as well and that's a very kind of interesting different skill in terms of comic books but i have done uh anthology work and some one shots and then i started out with a uh, graphic novel series called junior braves of the apocalypse which is still ongoing there's two volumes out now and then the third volume is being worked on it's a young adult survival horror graphic novel series um and so that's uh written for the like the trade paperback so it's very different from writing a monthly um but it's uh, I I love comics. I just love comics in all its forms. <laughs> well, that's good. I would hate to hear that you hated comics, but you're like, this is this is the job. This job is the business. Job. <laughs> my dad did it before me, and now I got to <laughs> do it, and my son's gonna do it too. <laughs> he put on a big like you know overalls. You know, I got to go down to the comic mines today, son. You know that that would just be awful. <laughs> But we're here today to talk a little bit about this book, Orcs in Space. Um, I guess to get into this, this is this is a wild book. I was I was doing a little bit of research on it. Uh, I was lucky enough to read a copy of the volume that came out. It's very very funny. It's incredibly cartoony and bombastic in like all of the best ways. I guess this is a like I said, it's kind of a wild book. There's four writers on the book. I I couldn't find any crediting to like who was working on what and where. How did this whole book come together? So I'll I can talk a little bit about that. Because uh, Francois and I are both like the the two last additions, okay, to the like the core creative team. So it started uh, originated with two brothers, Abed and Rashad Gaith, who I always I always point this out that if the name Abed sounds familiar, Abed from Community, that character is based on Abed Gaith. Um, oh, they uh, they kind of knew Dan Harmon and and Justin Roiland. Uh, from when when they're from their younger days, shall we say? Mm-hmm. So Abed and Rashad, both like big nerds. Uh, Abed has written a little bit on Rick and Morty, but Rashad, he he really did like game design and stuff. But Rashad fell in love with a massive multiplayer online game where he played an orc and he just loved everything about orcs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and him and Abed kind of like started the germ of the idea. And they took it to Justin Roiland, co-creator of Rick and Morty, and he kind of had input and they were developing it. And they're like, well, maybe let's let's do it as a comic book and kind of see see how it goes and see how it grows. But they've never written a comic book before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got brought in uh, on the virtue that I, I was doing Junior Braves with Oni and I'd said, you know, well, during the lull between Junior Braves books, like if you have any other work, like any licensed stuff, you know. I'm looking, I'm looking for a job, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and by virtue of being in Los Angeles with, you know, Justin and Abed and Rashad, I think I got the job and it's very funny. Like I kind of joked about it, um, earlier, but like when I got the first outline for the series, I didn't get it. I just did not get what they were going for. Oh no. Um, but I was like, a job's a job. Um, <laughs> And then I remember the the morning of our first in-person meeting where it was going to be like Justin and the brothers and um, editor-in-chief at Oni Press, James Lucas Jones. He was in LA. It was going to be at the Rick and Morty offices. That morning, I reread the outline and it finally clicked for me. It's at the, the three main orcs. It's the Three Stooges. It's the Three Stooges as orcs 
mm-hmm. going on a space adventure. And I finally got it. Like I really got it. And then I went into that first meeting and we, we all kind of clicked and we started developing it um, and then moved forward. And then Francois can speak to when he came in. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, uh, like Michael said, you know, um, I came in at the sort of at the end of the project, like the, the guys had been working on the scripts for the book. I, I think it was like in various stages of development for, but it was for several years, I think, as they were kind of working things out. And then I think that finally it was just like go time, you know, like Oni was like, okay, we're going to publish this. It's going to come out uh, next year. So they had to find an artist right away. And I had worked with Oni Press the year before because they published the English edition of a graphic novel that I wrote and drew called Titan, which Mm -hmm. is literally like it's a bad pun, but I say it all the time. It's literally light years away from the universe of Orcs in Space. It just couldn't (laughs) it couldn't be more different. Um, Yeah. Having read that, I'm like, this is a very different type of book. Um, (laughs) I was very curious about that. Yeah. No, I mean, it was like it was kind of funny. I remember at the the you know, when I was first starting like the kind of negotiations and like the chatting with Oni and our Amanda or our, not our Amanda, our editor, Amanda, <laughs> our, Amanda. I, our Amanda. And I was asking her, you know, I was like, I was like, well, like one of my questions was like, well, they want this like in my art style. Right. Like, and she said, yeah, totally. And then she was like, well, like a little bit, like a little touch of Justin Roiland into your art, if you can work that out. And I was like, I can work that out. And we're going to, and so that. That's where you get like the kind of gestalt style of Orcs in Space, which is like, in some ways, it's also it's like a kind of a return to all the things I really liked as a young reader of comics. And when mm-hmm. what first brought me into reading and drawing comics was like sort of like adventure science fiction comics like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like Yusagi Ojimbo, um, even something like uh, the other day I was thinking about Sergio Aragones, who does did Gru back in the day. And I don't draw anything like Sergio Aragones, but there's like a certain looseness to how I approach drawing the, each page, you know, like the pages are not, um, they're not overly elaborated with like the pencils and things like that. I'm trying to have sure. a little bit of freedom and fun and uh, like vibrant feel on, and on every page. And I was thinking about Sergio Aragones way back in the day. And I was like, wow, yeah, it's been a long time since I read one of his comics, but grew even was a, a big influence on me. So there's like just years and years of different influences that are coming through in the art. And I think that that's also reflected in the writing that like Michael and um, the, the brothers and, uh, and Justin are bringing to it where there's all these different influences. And then, it's kind of like a big pot and we're stirring it up. Yeah. I mean, and that, that was kind of one of the things that I, I really enjoyed is there was a mix of, uh, of a lot of different, just like sci-fi and, and almost fantasy things that I, that just made this book uh, even more insane as you go through it page after page after page. And honestly, I had no idea where the book was going and it just gets funnier and funnier as things go on. I mean, Michael, I'm curious to know, you know, what was the, the the writing process for this as the four of you were kind of just mashing your heads together to to make this into a, a four chapter story? Yeah, I'm a little, I, I feel like I'm a little bit of a, a wrangler. I won't say I'm wrangling cats because they are very focused. Sure. But it's kind of it's a lot of ideas because um, they've never worked in comics before. It's a lot of like, yes, I get what you're going for. But how do we do that? How do we tell Francois how to draw that? Or like, right. how how do we like get the letterer uh, to be able to convey that. Um, mm-hmm. I remember, I don't think he'd mind, but Abed very early on was like, what if this character had like a funny voice? And I said, <laughs> you, you can't do that in comics. Like you we could, we could explain like in the, in the script, the letterer, like maybe do a different font, something that kind of evokes a funny voice, but you mm-hmm. can't just be like, 
this character's got a funny voice. Like there's there's just that kind of learning curve um, with people who come from animation or, or people who just don't come from comics. They might know how to tell a story, uh, but not necessarily in this medium. So that was a lot of me kind of honing things in to find like the the perfect moments for like the panels and how to get the story going. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, and I guess Francois, like taking whatever jumbled mess of words that was handed over to you. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know, taking the script from, from, you know, Michael and, and the rest of the gang, you know, like, what was that like for you going from something like Titan where you worked on everything by yourself and just trying to interpret people's meanings and stuff like that. I'm sure, I'm sure you've worked with other people before, but like just given what Michael said. No, no. Well, that, that it was, it was absolutely a really interesting place to come to. And I was really lucky because I actually hadn't worked with too many other um collaborators on the writing side like where i wasn't like you know fully enmeshed in the writing but i did one right before uh orcs in space i did a um a graphic novel with uh, a novelist here in quebec whose name is genevieve peterson and that was really interesting because like the gaith brothers like she also had like she was an accomplished novelist she was an accomplished screenwriter but she had never written a comic before and so like my uh when i got that from her it was like a it was a, a story like a full prose story like 25 pages and then i had to kind of convert it into a 150 page graphic novel and her her prose would include things about like how things smelled and things like that. And it was very hard to do the, the translation. And so that was actually really, I'm really glad that that happened right before I started working on this project because it gave me a whole, how would I say that? Like a kind of a structure in my mind of like how I approach uh, collaboration. And when I'm working with, with, with writers who are, who, who who's not, who are not me, uh, like mm-hmm. how, how I'm going to, you know, try and like, take all their ideas, respect all the concepts and ideas and the beats that they have, and then exercise a little bit of my creative freedom also so that the, that I think it lands the best it possibly can on like the, the 22 pages, you know? And so when I would get the scripts from uh, Michael, Rashad and Abed, there's always like a moment, like at the very beginning, it's not like that it's a jumbled mess, like you said, not at all, but there's always a moment where I'm like, wait, how am I going to get all this onto the page onto like the 22 <laughs> pages? And then right. I'm like, and then slowly I start, I start, I start laying things out. And basically what I do is, uh, I draw everything digitally. So I do my very first pass, which is just moving all the words around and just figuring out like how many words are going to be on every page. And so sometimes that'll really change like the, the pacing that is in the original script. Mm-hmm. But I'll, like, I'll, like I refer back to the original script, but then I also feel the freedom and the privilege to be able to push what they're doing because I like if I think I I can present it in a visual way, that's slightly different from what they're doing, but is capturing the spirit of what they want to do and is going to, really sing on the page, then I'll, I'll push that. And then they also, I do all my roughs and then they, and our, um, our editor, Amanda, they'll get everything. And then they come back to me with their, you know, like, they're like, Oh, everything works good. Except that we want this one joke to land here. Or mm-hmm. we, uh, there's something we had planned, or we had a, this, the, a vision of this character as, you know, something a little bit different than you did. And then, you know, like, I'll, I'll, of course I come right back with them and I'm like, Oh yeah, we can do that. That's not a problem as like, as soon as it's articulated to me, but I've been, I, I've been really lucky. I think that they, they basically have <laughs> really trusted me. Michael can tell you if they have or not, yeah. but I think that they basically have trusted me to do, you know, to like get it on the page the way that they want. 
Gotcha. All right. So, Michael, now it's on you to reveal all the secrets to, you know, go against everything that Francois just said. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. it's it's very interesting. Like one of the first lessons I learned in comics was my first published story in an anthology. Very simple story. Went off to the artist and the editor came back to me and said, you know what? The, the arts come back for the story, but um, it doesn't really match your story. Uh, and we're on a time crunch can you rewrite your story based on the art? Huh? And I was like, well, how, how, how is that possible? How wasn't <laughs> I clear? Um, and I looked at it and, said, and yes, the art didn't no longer match the story. And I looked at my script and I was like, I don't think it was any like um, malfeasance on the artist's part. I think it was just a combination of me not necessarily being very clear and the artist not necessarily understanding the point of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so my very first lesson in comics is the artist is not in your head. So you need to either be very specific about something or be open to the artist just interpreting it a different way and then move forward from there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Which I, I kind of brings me us to one of the questions that I was, I've been sitting on here is, you know, uh, when you, when you think about something that was maybe the most challenging part of this book, do either of you have like a moment where you're like, this just, this, this thing isn't working. We somehow need to tweak it to make it work for everything that we've done so far. Um, is there anything in your mind that like sticks out and maybe you could tell the folks at home, like how, what it turned from and what it is now? Hmm, that's a great question. That uh, is. Michael, do you have any off the top of your head? Yeah, I'd kind of go back to my original thing of just like not getting the concept early mm-hmm. on. Because it was because, you know, they were new at this. Like like reading that original outline, it was really hard to kind of like to figure out what the tone of it was. But once I figured out Three Stooges, um, then that let me kind of look at the core bits of their outline and see like what I'd be able to do to hit that three stooges in space kind of theme and that style uh, to the story. And that really helped me kind of think about how I approached even like our writing sessions, like what Mm -hmm. we were going for. Like we wanted to have some very core emotional beats, but ultimately this is a story about three kind of idiots (laughs) out of their depth, exploring a new world and and just going with that and and the crossover of the fantasy and sci-fi worlds from the get-go that was probably the hardest part is figuring out like cuz cuz really like I did see myself as I am shepherding Abed and Rashad's vision right, into right. into I'm the midwife birthing their idea into the world you know uh-huh. so I wanted to make sure I I did in the best way to to really have it be their core idea just as good as it could be and that was that was my goal i mean well it worked out as far as i can tell you know i read it i had a good time reading it i i think it, it translates pretty well i mean francois was there was there anything like that you've had to you had to jumble and try to like cram into something and ultimately it worked out really well in the book well i i think that it was very much exactly like what uh michael is saying where um you know where he's saying that that like it's it's uh in some ways it's like he and i our job is like the it's like kind of like the cleanup crew, like where we're like, we're, we're making all these ideas fit into the structure of a 22 page comic, which is mm-hmm. uh, as anyone knows, who's done a 22 page comic, like the beats are very tight and, and, and short. And, and sometimes I think that in reading the scripts, I can, I got the feeling like I could, you know, uh, I can tell that there's like multiple writers involved because it's like, there's, 
there's such a panoply of ideas and mm-hmm. um you know sometimes i would get the the you know in the script and this is once again i, th- I think this is nothing not knocking the script at all and i think michael and anybody else listening will, will know that but like sometimes there would be like nine panels on a page and i'd be like okay but if i do nine panels on the page it's gonna they're gonna be really small and like one of them is supposed to be like a spaceship exploding in the middle of the, the <laughs> panel you know so i'd be like yeah. okay like let me how can i push and pull uh, like all these things but that to me was is some of the most fun elements of it is fitting everything into this structure like it's a it's a 22 pages the pages are a certain size there's a certain amount of beats that you can fit in and then just being like well what can we fit in and you know that sometimes that leads to some of the pages being like really interesting and wild with like little micro asides and like there's a lot of joke density where there's a lot of verbal humor going on on top of like physical gags or something like that mm-hmm. and you know like I think that that is because the script is so rich because there's so many different ideas and influences going in like everybody wants the com- like we all want the comic to include like everything and then like when it comes down to the final package it's so slim that uh sometimes it can make things like uh feel really vibrant on the page I, I, or at least that's the feeling i got when i was working on it sometimes yeah I, to to just go right off of that i mean like there is not a not an inch of space wasted in this book and i say that in the best way i mean in the background like you said there's little gags and physical jokes and little bits and little like word bubbles there's a moment where a rat's getting squashed it's just got a little death symbol i mean it's very funny um all throughout i just i i really appreciate you saying that to say like the reason why it feels that way is because you guys were trying to cram so much in and i think it really is to the benefit of the comic my my last little bit here is of this of this story was there a favorite moment that either of you have like your favorite thing that you drew francois or your favorite thing that you wrote michael um that you're just like yeah we we fucking nailed it (laughs) (laughs) michael let you go first my favorite gag and i think the one i'm proudest of uh is probably the most like gross uh one because i figured like because this is coming out once the first trade paperback is 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 out so yeah yeah i mean minor um, spoilers we'll just minor spoilers minor spoilers um that there's a hole in the ship (laughs) and i and we set up that there there that there's a salute there is one solution to to fix the hole in the ship Mm -hmm. but my pitch and what we went with was that what if they what, what if they just stuff all the dead bodies of all the space rats they just killed <laughs> into the hole of the ship. They just plug yeah. it with dead bodies, mm-hmm. which I think is hilarious. I, I will, and the, that reveal and the art looks hilarious. Very funny. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's my proudest joke from the first arc. <laughs> that is an understandable one. Is That was a fantastic reveal. Didn't mean to talk over you there, but yeah, that was that's very good. Uh, uh, Francois, did you, did you have any favorite moments out of the book? Oh, no, no, the, I, I do. I do. I just, but I'm laughing because I, I, uh, I, I think Michael knows too that when that, when that gag came up, I like voiced concerns about that gag, like at multiple points, like in the the creative process. Cause I was like, I was like, I feel like there's been a certain level of like violence that's been like pretty tame. And then like suddenly we're escalating to a really heavy level at the last, like at the very last second. And I was like, I was always like, never sure. I was like, I will draw it. I'm, I'm drawing it. I'm still drawing it. I drew it. But at every time I was like, uh, are we sure that we want to include this? <laughs> but now, now that I hear that it's Michael's favorite gag, then I understand why, because it's like, you know, like it, it, he has, it, there's a, there's passion in it. Right. In my defense, that was way before the book was going to be positioned as an all ages book. <laughs> 
<laughs> so now I just think about like, yeah, like, like I, I do notice like um, a lot of the violence is uh, not toned down, but like in our heads, we had it the like the final issue in the first arc as being just like disgusting with like viscera and blood and body parts. <laughs> Oh and and Francois like turned it in and it's it's violent sure. uh, and there's blood, but it's not as like extreme, like disgusting that we had envisioned. And so it was like, I, when we were like, oh, how, oh how, we, come? And then it was like, well, you know, it's going to it's like a, it's an all ages book. And uh, well, well, maybe well, maybe a bit too much, guys. And we'll have like, to oh, do the, the 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 NC-17 rated version, the yes. director's cut. We can like we can add in uh, add, add in stuff. So that'll be fine. Yeah, Extra variant. bloody variant. Exactly. You'll have like a, everyone will cut their finger and put a thumbprint on of blood on the cover <laughs> and stuff. And limited five hundred. This sounds like a money printing machine. Uh, <laughs> it worked for Kiss. It can work for us. Exactly. Exactly. You know, we we did an episode. Not to go to completely tangent here. We did an episode all about like wild variants and stuff did you know that there was a comic that you could have bought like at one point in like the late 80s early 90s that someone literally shot with a bullet like they sold oh, at, like a hundred copies of yeah. this i i had no idea i was i was my mind was blown <laughs> i totally remember that. i don't remember what drive. title it was but i remember i think it was like malibu comics or something that did that yeah I, something like that i yeah. remember that <laughs> anyways so you know if you let's just say if oni press if you're listening maybe we could do a blood version blood variant or something you know give us a call we'll figure it out um (laughs) anyways well i guess um one last thing before we go um here are there any comics that you guys have been reading that you that you really dig um any comics that have like caught your eye that you're maybe you're even sitting on your desk and you want to read next yeah uh i i will throw a plug in for francois titan because i just finished that not too far not too long ago very good book very sexy book in one scene which i was not <laughs> expecting i'm like this i feel like there's a market for that book that we have that that francois Anoni has not tapped in yet very sexy book it's in a very in a very well-written political book i, I political <laughs> sci-fi i love it um other books i'm reading uh oddly enough um i'm reading uh orcs not in space just orcs yes. from boom yes. studios mm-hmm. that's a that's a very fun book and i because I back a lot of Kickstarter books. So most of the comics I read are Kickstarter books that I, I've, that I eventually get. There's a series called the surgeon, uh, which I really like, which is a, a fun post-apocalyptic uh, series, kind of like uh, the postman uh, with Kevin Costner, uh, but about a doctor instead of a postman. Um, Interesting. I also spend a lot of time backing Kickstarter books and trying to read as many as I can because there's just so damn many of them and they all look so good. Right? Like I really have to limit myself. And for a while I was only doing, I'm like, I will back them at just the digital level. Right, um, right. But I re- like I've never really gotten into digital comics. Like I just... I like a physical media. Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. I just, all right, I better back this physical, physical version so I can actually read it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that I've had that same, that same problem. Aster of pan came out and I was like, I have to have that on my shelf. But anyways, uh, uh, Francois, what about you? Have you been reading any comics or are you eyeing anything to read next? I am. You well, I, you know, uh, I, I went through a phase recently where I just, I was reading like nothing and I was buying nothing. I was like, just not getting books. And then mm-hmm. I, I kind of just broke out of it. And I like, I, I went to a couple shops, you know, like as, um, kind of the lockdown measures kind of slowed down a little bit. They're, they're, you know, they're obviously not over, but, you know, like stores were open and I could go to the kind of like um, the Drawn and Quarterly bookstore here in Montréal and some other fun 
uh, bookstores in town and pick up nice. a few things. And I, I did. And so I, I have a few on my shelf that uh, are either uh, new buys or things that I'm going to read in the near future. Um, just I'm just looking over one that I just read recently uh, that I quite enjoyed. It wasn't my favorite of his, but is Ping Pong by Tayo Matsumoto, uh, mm. who I, I really consider to be a like a real genius in the the world of manga. Um, and I, I, Ping Pong wasn't my favorite of his things, but he, he's just totally a master at like drawing action and, and things like that. So basically anybody who draws comics can learn so much just by going through what, what he's doing in there. And then um, one of the next ones that um, is on my, like is on my to read uh, list is a uh, city of Belgium by Brecht Evans. Um, which is the the English edition that Drawn and Quarterly just put out. And I've actually read it already because I did the lettering for it, but it's so, oh, the, nice. the English lettering for it, but it's so different to read it. Like, I, and, you know, I was reading it like a sentence at a time. I'm really looking forward to, to actually just reading the whole book as a, right. uh, you know, as a comp, uh, like a continual mass. And then the last one that is on my to read list that I'm, um, well, there's more, but uh, the, the last one I'll mention is uh, Isle of Elsie by uh, Alec Longstreth. And since we were speaking about um, like uh, all ages comics, this is a true all ages fantasy adventure comic that I think it won the, the Ignatz Award uh, or not, no, the Eisner Award for like best uh, web comic for kids or something like that just recently. Oh, and cool. I, I, I would really, really recommend it to anyone who's looking for something that's like just very warm cuddly sweet story with lots of wordplay and it's 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 great for people who have you know like a like a 10 year old in your life who who Mm -hmm. really likes to go on uh would love to go on an adventure or something like that um that is a really fun title and i I haven't gotten it's just sitting on there on the shelf i haven't i've only read excerpts of it but i'm really looking forward to to diving into the whole thing and that's by uh isle of elsie by alec longstreth Cool. Well, I'll I'll look all those up and make sure those are in the show notes um, for, for folks to look up because uh, we, we do love getting recommendations from folks that are in comics. But uh, I guess the last thing I'll ask you guys is where can people find you on the internet? I guess we'll bounce right back to you, Francois. Sure. Uh, I'm on the the, the Instagram uh, at my name, Francois Vigneault, and I'll spell it because it's one of those annoying names. F-R-A-N-C-O-I-S-V-I-G-N-E-A-U-L-T. And that's all one word. So you can mm-hmm. find me if you look up my name. I'm on Instagram and then I have my website, which has uh, more of my work and all that good stuff. Sounds good. What about you, Michael? Uh, you can find me on my website, bymichaeltanner.com. That's B-Y, michaeltanner.com. Uh, on the social medias, uh, Twitter is probably the best where I am Mike is Ernie at Twitter. People know how Twitter works. Yeah. And yeah, those are the best places. Sounds good. Well, I, I want to thank you both again for coming on our show. This has been a fantastic conversation, and everyone out there should go check out Orcs in Space from Oni Press. It's probably at your comic shop. If it's not, tell them to order it. Get a copy or go grab it online if you can. Um, thank you both again. This, is, this has been a lot of fun. Dude, thank you. Thank you for having us on. It was great. This week on I Read Comic Books, we are talking about a comic that we decided to just 
pick and read. You know, we're, we're, we're changing things up. Like I said, with episode 300, we're kind of changing the direction and the way we're going to do topics if we even have them in the future. So um, again, another preview behind the curtain of things that are maybe to come. So Renee, Kara, and I sat down, I think, after an episode and said, hey, let's let's pick something and read it. And uh, this was the book that we decided on. Disney manga, Stitch and the Samurai by Hiroto Wada. This is volume one of probably, I don't know, a dozen. Who knows? Manga can go on forever. Uh, so I guess I'm going to throw this to Kara because as we said in the break, this is her fault that we read this book. Yeah, so. <laughs> you were really kind in saying we picked this book when really what happened is I picked this book. <laughs> well, we we were talking about it because we knew that like the next episode you guys were going to be on together. We we're like, hey, we're just going to pick a comic and talk about it. And uh, I think you were trying to just find a meeting point between things that we all liked right which is disney and manga (laughs) right so i'm here as the disney person and Mm -hmm. renee is here as the manga person and mike is here as the guy who loves stuff (laughs) yes yes i am here as the host yes so uh yeah so i have been reading disney manga of late because it is a ridiculous subgenre, frankly. They mm-hmm. and some of the stuff I think they do make for the Japanese market, and then it gets translated into English. I'm pretty sure that was what was going on with this Stitch in the Samurai book. And some of the stuff I think is more uh, Americanized style manga. I think the Nightmare Before Christmas stuff will fall under that category. And it's it's very interesting because. With the Disney manga, they often are doing manga art styles that you would think of when you think of manga, but then the Disney characters are just there looking like themselves. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it's a little more like, oh, that's a choice. But <laughs> this one, <laughs> this one, I wanted to to read with you both because Stitch and the Samurai felt just from looking at the preview images felt more like a manga like n- that just happens to have a disney character in it so right this kind of starts out at the the front of lilo and stitch the film but very quickly deviates into something entirely different so at the at the beginning of the disney film lilo and stitch which if you haven't seen it um you will probably cry, but it's good. <laughs> so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it's this alien monster who's been genetically created by an evil genius scientist. And in this tiny monster's escape from the space cops, lands on the planet Earth and befriends this this small um, orphan girl, Lilo, and... That he goes to live with her and her older sister Nani, and there's this whole like foster care system thing. Uh, families that are reforming and healing thing. Um, also, some comedic elements from the evil scientist with the intergalactic agent coming to find Stitch, the the alien here on Earth. And this this manga Stitch and the Samurai starts at the point where Stitch is escaping from the space cops but instead of falling to current day hawaii falls to feudal japan 
instead mm-hmm. they make like a one panel allusion to the fact that he's warped the space time continuum in his escape <laughs> so that you don't have to worry about it and then stitch this uh, this tiny adorable blue monster uh f- falls like amidst this fierce warriors encampment this this warlord who's just out to murder people but instead of murdering people just gets waylaid by how cute stitch is mm-hmm. and uh yeah so i wanted to talk about this one with y'all because it felt more like let's look at a let's look at this manga that has a lot of manga tropes that you would expect from certain stories and how they incorporate a disney character who is from a a totally different type of story and uh you know, Renee, what did you what did you think as our resident mangaka? Well, I mean, I read manga. I don't make it, but um, you make it in your brain when you sleep at night. I assume at this point, if you've read <laughs> right. so much, are you of just it. are you just viewing my dreams now? Because <laughs> that's it. accurate. I know that's it. Very. That's so accurate. Um, All right, so go on. <laughs> I don't know why, but for some reason, when Stitch picked up the first samurai by the spear. I saw that going very differently in my mind because mm-hmm. then he just dropped them. And I was like, he's, he's, he's made to be a killer, right? Like a monster. Why wouldn't he just start hacking away at the samurai? I was like, right. Disney. Yeah. That's, yes. that's on me. <laughs> I mean, the style of this book reminds me of a lot of harsher manga that I've read, like Attack on Titan or Vinland Saga or Berserk. So I totally understand that, the, with the exception of the way that Stitch is drawn. Yeah. <laughs> he's drawn like a cartoon character, but everything else is drawn like very, like very serious and timid. I I totally get what you're saying. His, right? intro, his, his intro was perfect because like you have all these very like harsh lines, and it's very very in the character of a samurai story, and the the, the detail they put into it is exquisite. And then they get to the ship, and he pops out, and it's just Disney. <laughs> it's almost like a who framed roger rabbit style situation where like this cartoon character feels so out of place in this moment but yeah it totally works i loved it i was captivated by how captivated our warlord protagonist feels about (laughs) stitch it was very Uh like my one bold-faced note for reading this book was who is she (laughs) and we we should say at this point i know we're a couple minutes in but full spoilers i think probably for this volume just in case i mean you can get this that what we've said so far you get out of the first like 10 pages of the book but just just in case we go a bit further i will just say full spoiler alert right now oh man i laughed out loud multiple times while reading this book because the juxtaposition between the intensity of the samurai and his intense yearning to just let stitch feed him like my god i just want to give you a grilled fish just eat it from my hand yeah the intensity of just trying to find the right food for his new quote-unquote pet raccoon blue raccoon um was was very adorable like it's it's so funny to hear him go from one scene where they're like sir we have to take the next village what should we do and then he he says all i can think about is what food should i feed stitch this animal next to make him like me like this one, this one scene or kind of early on in the book where he's given stitch some food and then stitch falls asleep and then the samurai like lays down arms length from him and is just staring at him and it's like mm-hmm. i just 
his his tummy looks so soft. I need to touch it. And he's like slowly reaching his arm over to pet Stitch's belly. And just then one of the soldiers barges in like, sir, what shall we do? And he's like, ah, and I was like, this is this is a scene from a romance manga. No, mm-hmm. like, I just- OK. <laughs> I thought that same exact thing. I was like, this is kind of romantic. Yes, I was very, very uncomfortable. Romantic. I was very yeah. uncomfortable the whole time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess that's why this manga is rated teen. I mean, it says it's Tokyo Pop age rating. It says age is 13 and up for aggression and mild violence, but I think it should be for potential bestiality. I mean, I th- I thought it was rated T for for violence because they imply that they have killed many people. Well, they were going to burn down a village that had women yeah. and children in it. And then he's like, hold on, something else is more important. This blue thing, I want to pet it. I need to give him chestnuts. <laughs> oh, the chestnut scene. They go, they go gathering chestnuts because he discovers that Stitch really likes chestnuts with rice. Yeah. And then they go have this whole little like those are some beautifully illustrated chestnuts, <laughs> I must say. Like I'm really Danny in the chat says it's rated T for love. <laughs> <laughs> Just, man, those are some some very nicely illustrated chestnuts and a very nice moment where the warlord can be like, you can't just shake them from the tree. They have to grow and mature. And in my head, I'm like, like your love? Like I'm so right, it, dude. Yeah. Yes, all every single trope just on the table in this still, in this story. The, the level of detail on the chestnuts and the trees and stuff, and then still mm-hmm. Stitch is just wow, <laughs> just this flat two D character, a beautifully illustrated story. Are, and, it reminds mm-hmm. me of the of the like the scene in the movie where he's lost in the <laughs> he's he's lost, and the background mm-hmm. is just so beautiful and then like it's clearly like that was just a background and then they just were animating him right there mm-hmm. so he looks mm-hmm. just a little bit out of place that's how the entire manga felt that's right that's how animated films worked i know <laughs> i don't <laughs> Oh. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really it's really funny, though. I mean, Kara, to your point about this book being like really be- beautifully illustrated, I think, you know, we've touched <laughs> on it a little bit, but the the whole book is extremely detailed. And I, you know, it's funny because I like I said, I've been I've been reading Vinland Saga. Um, and so all I can see in this is just like the absolute brutality of that series um, as I'm reading through this, because as Renee said, like all of the samurai characters, all of the backgrounds, all of the horses, everything that they have are drawn like with extreme detail that you would expect from a a brutal manga um and it looks very very good like the mustache on the samurai's face fantastic right and then you cut to the next panel it's just this like little cartoon character and it feels so out of place (laughs) and yet you can see the cuteness of it right like stitch as a character is a cute character can't can't argue with that at all like i told kelly that we were reading this and she went there's a lilo and stitch comic and i went yeah (laughs) (laughs) like she like because she loves this character and like because he's he's just so adorable so like i totally understand where this samurai warlord is coming from when he's just like (laughs) i want this thing to love me not because i want to use him in any capacity but because he's just so darn cute (laughs) there were multiple times reading this that i was like i can't believe i'm reading this i'm reading this (laughs) yeah this is a thing that's happened in my life but did you also get to the end of the book and go oh my god i need to read the next one because that's where my mind went yes i need to know 
Renee. Oh. Renee. We're different Where's your people. Heart? We no, are different people. <laughs> so, one of, okay, so one of my favorite sequences in this manga was Stitch's dreaming. He just wants to go back to outer space and figure out where the heck he's supposed to be because he's looking around. Like, he hasn't figured out that Japan is an island. Like, he figures out very quickly that Hawaii is an archipelago. And, mm-hmm. like, I feel like that's a missed... Like, he should have been looking for cities or something to destroy and realized very quickly that he was on a, a, a just a teeny piece of land uh, before cities were really happening mm-hmm. in the middle of the ocean. And that would have been a different emotional response. Like, in that it's kind of weird, given what we know of Stitch's character, that he's just kind of hanging around with this warlord trying to fix his spaceship. Right. So this this sequence is he's fa- Stitch has fallen asleep and is starting to dream about the stars above him. And then it's unclear at the point where he wakes up and is looking at the stars above him. And then the stars gradually turn into fireflies. And he has this like very sweet moment with the samurai where the samurai is explaining that, Oh yes, I used to look up at the stars and they would remind me of fireflies and the opposite is happening for you. And just that dream to reality, to a story, to not quite sure what part of reality it is, but it all still works. Like that's something Mm -hmm. that manga does very well, I think. Getting that that mood shift going. Yeah. It's very rare to see like that kind of transition in a Western comic. Yeah. Yeah. And even though Stitch is a name given to him by Lilo, we still eventually get there through Oh yeah, yeah. He does give him a name that's like a Japanese version of the word stitch until stitch is eventually like no my name's stitch he's like ah oh, stitch which i <laughs> guess is I, maybe they were supposed to be like oh he's he's mispronouncing it but we get there anyways yeah but, yeah you know yeah whatever uh it's a thing this the story spends a lot of time just of the the samurai trying to find ways to to butter up stitch to basically get him to like him yeah it's a real sooner uh story yeah yeah and it's 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 funny to say that word either sundere i think i don't know (laughs) either way what i think it's really funny that that you're both trying to say oh it's 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 renee i'm gonna let you explain it (laughs) oh no so a sundere or a sundere is a character and it's someone who's tough and cold on the outside but on the inside you know they're very soft and sweet so at first they're very like mean to the main character the person of their affection and they're just sort of like oh you can't break that hard exterior but underneath you know they're just they're just soft and cuddly soft and gooey mm-hmm. the so best the trope <laughs> right i mean if you've probably seen sundere sharks on the internet where it's like it's not even like i wanted to talk to you baka and it's like a blushing shark yeah. um it's that kind of thing it's a shark? uh <laughs> yeah it's a sh- <laughs> anyways uh the, the thing that i found interesting about this is that they do spend a lot of the time in this just just focusing on their like the samurai trying to befriend stitch and obviously stitch wants to go back to space because they're trying to fix their ship um but we do get like an actual plot of 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 like a problem that's going to be happening in the next volume as the the two you know villains from the from the movie actually make their way through the space-time continuum to earth to to find stitch which i i saw some preview art for the next volume and boy does it look 
exactly like the movie in terms of the ridiculousness that these characters go to try to quote unquote blend into the uh, feudal Japan. Also, the mosquitoes are still a thing somehow. Yes. Uh, even though unless <laughs> Agent Bubbles makes an appearance as well. We'll see. I mean, again, all the more reason to read the next volume, in my opinion. You know, it, reading this really just made me kind of want to watch the Lilo and Stitch movie or oh, sure. like read Usagi Yojimbo or uh, the Elusive Samurai. Uh, which is currently being published by Weekly Shonen Jump and on the Shonen Jump app. Chapter 33 out today. So it seems like this just made you want to consume any media that wasn't this. I clearly have not impressed you with my no, selection no, no, this week. No, not any. Still samurai focused. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought there was a lot of fun moments in this, though, overall. Like, I want to read the next one just because it was such an easy read. Like, it's it's not to say that, like, some books are harder than others to read by by any capacity. But, like, in terms of, um, I mean, that's absolutely not true. Some books are harder <laughs> to read. But I, I guess what I'm saying is that there is there is a funness and a lightweightness to this book that uh, really just made it super easy to digest. Like, like, just watching a popcorn movie or something that's not too complicated the like Disney-ness of it in that there's something kind of goofy happening, but there's actually like some character development. And ultimately by the end, whatever that may be, um, we're probably going to see some character growth and we're going to love this character that we already love even more. And maybe some of the new characters that we've met. And I think that that's like a really hard thing to do sometimes when it comes to existing properties. So do you think our samurai warlord is going to hang up his katana and walk away from murder and pillage i mean did did lilo stop being like a rambunctious little child at the end of the movie i don't think so there's nothing uh, <laughs> wrong with her how dare you i know is there something wrong with this warlord samurai i mean he murders people mike i don't know kara <laughs> it was the murder apologist it was the feudal yeah. age okay it was the warring states period there was i mean It'd be interesting to see where this, how this book concludes itself. Like in a, does the world become better having met Stitch, or does this character become better having met Stitch? And I mean, when it comes to Lilo from the movies, I mean, absolutely, right? She she learns the power of responsibility and understanding that like her actions have consequences, and that like sometimes you do need a little chaos in your life in order for it to be fun. Um, uh, is this guy going to learn that lesson? I don't know. Maybe he's going to learn to be a bit softer. Um, but like that being said, even, even all the characters around him were, were making, I don't want to say excuses, but they were justifying everything that he was doing, you know, when he decides to not raid a town and instead spends all of his time to try to find ways for Stitch to like him. They're like, this is an interesting strategy. We're not going to attack them at all. And it looks like it worked out in our favor because they did blah, blah, blah. You know, like I thought that was funny. And I, I love little hijinks like that in these kinds of stories. It's just the the continuous justification of, ah, yes, following this one person as a leader is going to work out splendidly because they know exactly what they're doing and why. And it's like, your leader is currently wrestling with some feelings about touching an alien's stomach. So I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> and he's in denial yeah. that it's an alien. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He's like, no, I mean, they, at one fine. point they think it's a koala, which I thought was probably one of the funniest jokes in the thing. <laughs> One guy's like, I've heard of this elusive koala. Also, like the the drawing of the koala was so incredibly detailed. And then once again, that's not a koala. Right, right, right. 
there was there was a horrible drawing in this book of a six-legged raccoon which i could not (laughs) stop staring at when i saw that because at one point stitch grows two more arms to try to dig a hole right and uh, the the samurai is confused. He's like, "Huh, I've never seen a six legged raccoon before. Did he always have six legs, or is his are his legs just moving so fast that <laughs> I can I can see six of them?" Um, and then he he goes, "Oh, I guess some raccoons have six legs." And then they go to a depiction of an actual realistic <laughs> raccoon with six legs, and it is horrifying. <laughs> Again, the T rating is justified for moments like this. <laughs> it's just one of those. This is this makes me think that it would be something like if I had been like if I was still in middle school when Leland Stitch came out and this manga was in like the grocery store and my mom walks by and I told her about this movie that I saw. She's like, Hey, I think this is along that line. Maybe he'd just like this. And then I was like, Uh what does this have to do with the movie? Other than the (laughs) fact that there's one character in it. Right. And then that book would shape your entire life. Renee, you'd (laughs) grow up with the idea that anything is possible. Time travel is a thing. And, uh, all stories are the same story. I, I mean, who knows? I thought you were going to go with just, I only read Disney manga. <laughs> right. I mean, that that also could have become who you are. Uh, I definitely have a lot fewer volumes. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, Stitch, Stitch is a very popular character in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, ten years ago, when I was briefly there, there was this store that I went to in tokyo and an entire floor of the store was just devoted to stitch merchandise like i walked out of there with like chopsticks and a bento box and like pouches and a stitch shaped mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. rice shaper for your bento box it was just oh, so you get one of those uh those stitch hats and i know they make stitch onesies too oh they make <laughs> they make stitch everything and there was actually a lilo and stitch show i I think mm-hmm. it was an There's anime shows. that was produced exclusively for the Japanese market. Like we still don't have uh, access to it in America. Oh man. Oh, yeah. Man. So it's like a big deal. So when I was reading this, I was like, Oh, I see. So the, you fi- you've, uh, you've figured out where the market is. We figured out where the demand is for, uh, for stitch. And I guess people just want to read stories where samurais try to feed stitch grilled fish for a hundred well i mean and there's there's a bunch of other like stitch manga too right like like i just did a quick google search like for stitch manga and the first thing that came up was disney manga stitch volume one and there's four volumes in it or something or at least it's been collected kind of weird in uh on amazon but Mm -hmm. it's just about like more adventures of of stitch where he befriends a young girl named yuna and he excels at karate because of course Stitch can do anything. He's a, you know, well, he's still um, a war machine, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is oh, true. Oh, man. If if there was a, a Disney-like Marvel crossover and Stitch was war machine, I would read that. What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Disney has all of the pieces in their toolbox. Listen, or listen, in their toy chest, listen. So they can do whatever they want. We're trying to make money, okay? Uh-huh. Any way mm-hmm. that happens. Anyway. Yeah. So Beast would be... The Beast from Beauty and the Beast. Obvious. Yes. yes. Like that's yes. that's the given one. Absolutely. Um I you know, unpopular opinion, but let's be real here. <laughs> Tony Stark is gonna be guest on. And huh. um <laughs> he'll have a redemptive arc, it'll be fine. I would have thought Bell's dad would have been Tony Stark. No. Because he's an inventor. Yeah, yeah but, but like... Tony Stark is arrogant. 
Right, right. Terrible. And then we're getting so off topic. We're supposed to be talking about the comic. No, right? no, this is this is totally on topic because now comics. I'm stuck. Now I'm stuck in this this hole right now where all I can think of is the dad from the 101 Dalmatians is somehow Star Lord, and I don't know why, but it no. fits in my head. No, what? Roger? Yeah, Roger. Yeah, Roger's so sweet. He's not a dick. Like, where would you get this from? He smokes I mean, a pipe. He's, he's kind of just a. Uh, in my mind, he's like a. He's kind of a dork. Like he's a sweetheart, but he's a dork. And imagine if there was a better take on Star Lord. You know, uh, <laughs> what would the one hundred and one Dalmatians be? Uh, they would all be Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess. Okay, you're right. We're, we're, we've gone a little bit off track here. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have any any other thoughts on uh, Stitch and the Samurai? Uh, I know I asked the question before and I said it, but I, I want to read more of this. Do you guys think that you're at least going to maybe try volume two? Oh, no. I am. Okay. Renee's well, Renee, give us, give us your reasons. Give us your reasons. I would just rather buy something else. I, okay. I, I had the experience and, you know, I know that it's out there and I mm-hmm. know along the lines of what it's going to be. I just uh, I just don't like, you know, sometimes you read something, you're like, I don't hate this, but I also don't feel like finding out what happens like i'm okay Okay. i'm okay with not knowing totally can't relate what about you kara can't relate Uh, (laughs) no they're about to bring in more lilo and stitch characters so i kind of have to find out how deep the rabbit hole goes on this one (laughs) i need to expand the lore of this world (laughs) yeah i mean i'll be honest i just bought the second volume just now so i really i do hope though that there is some fan fiction based off of this manga and it's just out there just expanding this into just vast vast world well this is the thing like the more stories like this get published the more likely people are going to try to take this idea and go further with it in a good way you know like imagine if not just lilo but like or not just stitch but also lilo got transferred transported back in time they have to like survive and it's like a gritty hunger game style story but like stitch is like got an eye patch now and a gun and i, I don't know man anything's yeah, possible yeah, if stitch just became oda nobunaga okay yes yes <laughs> i don't know I, I think it's i think it's fun that disney is willing to publish things like this this because it doesn't feel like the same regurgitated kind of story of just let's keep it all inside this very narrow world and have the same kinds of adventures like uh like i was talking to kelly about this and how i thought it was funny that this book existed because of just the ridiculousness of it but that's what makes it kind of fun and we were talking about the animated TV show um, that came out on Disney where it's, you know, 626 or whatever is like St- Stitch's number. And then the story is all about all of the other inventions and, you know, creatures that we created and stuff. And I remember being a kid watching that show and going, oh, OK, but it's just kind of like a regurgitated formula of like, we got to find this thing. And then Stitch is the bad guy, but also the good guy. And he's going to bring them all together to make a family. And it just like isn't a stretch of the creative mind to try to tell a story like that. Um, it kind of plays into this narrative of like Disney having to over explain everything to their viewers um, mm-hmm. and only can play within a handful with like within a small confine of their stories. Whereas Stitch and the Samurai is far beyond the understanding of like what a Disney story is capable of. And therefore, it has a lot more room to play with elements that never would have been introduced into a Disney story. Uh, and I think that's what makes this story really bold and interesting. And while it's goofy and it's for children or for teens, um, it's still like. It's something that's far beyond the imagination of what a simple Disney movie is capable of. And I think you have, I respect it for that reason. Yeah, this is what they read before they get into Twilight. <laughs> sure, Look, there's, sure. a, there's a lot of, 
a lot of interesting Disney stuff that they've been doing. That's this more sort of what if expansion of the properties, but done in either books or, or comics where they know that the general audience is probably not going to be looking out for these. There's this uh, novel series called Twisted Tales that mm-hmm. I consumed the entirety of during the pandemic. And basically they take these classic Disney films and say, what if this would happen? So it's like Marvel, what if, but for Disney and sure. the bulk of them are, they're more or less following the plot of the film, but with slight variations, but some of them go way off and do some really cool stuff. Like my favorite ones are the, uh, the Peter Pan one where the protagonist is Wendy and the what if conceit is what if Wendy first went to Neverland with Captain Hook instead of Peter Pan and it's <gasps> not it's not the, the like what you're thinking about her like crushing on him or anything but she goes like when she's older so she's seeing Peter Pan as the annoying child that he is as opposed to a love oh. interest there's like a feminist friendship thing to, with like Tinkerbell and mm-hmm. she is like it's like how does she change in Neverland if she goes when she's older as opposed to when she's younger it was very well done and cool. like the the other one that I found really satisfying was the Mulan one where mm-hmm. the the part in spoilers for Mulan but there's a part in <laughs> Mulan where her like <laughs> almost almost boyfriend like almost dies but she saves him and so that's why he doesn't kill her when he finds out that she's a woman and mm. in this what if he dies so she quests to the underworld to get him back and so she goes into like the chinese concept of the underworld from that time in history and it's mm-hmm. very cool gotcha so stuff like that where they do or even like the the disney manga that i was reading a few months ago where the whole concept is this modern japanese girl is trying to do trying to learn how to be a karaoke star and you can only do that through the power of song taught to you by various disney characters all in the same volume (laughs) so they they do do Hmm, some things but you're right like at at root it's just like these larger marvel ips also where you always kind of have to come back to who the character is that audiences know so these more fringe expressions of what's going on that become a little bit closer to fanfic are like very fun because you know that they're not they're gonna like stretch things a little bit maybe it won't be so different from what you're used to but it's always more interesting to see reaching for something new even if it ends up being weird and vaguely bestial like this the samurai. <laughs> look, look if this gets gritty if this series gets gritty in a weird way if like say you know stitch starts learning from the samurai and then the lord ends up dying and then stitch for whatever reason becomes the next lord and then over the next hundred or so years oh. rises in the ranks and then actually fights alongside the members of the tokugawa shogunate when they you know become the tokugawa shogunate in the battle of Sekigahara and like there's actual blood being spilt and stuff like that. Like I would read that manga. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Renee. Well, when I finish volume two, I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah, I have a feeling it's um, not going in that direction. <laughs> folks in the chat are saying, you know, where's my old man stitch? Where's my stitch Ronin? Um, I like it. I like it. Um, so, uh, well, you know, that's yeah, it's I, the last samurai, but with stitch instead of Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> um, all right. Well, that's that's too fun to think about. Um, I was going to have a I had a really hot take about the Marvel What If TV series that I just I feel like I can't fit into the conversation now. So we'll save it for after the show. But um, yeah, this is I don't know. Like I said, this is a lot of fun. And uh, I'd be curious to know what other folks who are maybe not as plugged into Disney stuff are, you know, think of this. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, a lot of people have seen Lilo and Stitch, but I'd be curious to get other people's takes on this as well, because this is a it's a very what if it's very out there kind of story. Um, And again, I'm happy to have read it. So, yeah, I guess. Thanks, guys, for for doing this. Next week on on the show is episode 300. And uh, I hope you're excited because, like I said, we're going to have a bunch of announcements. We're going to have a bunch of, I don't know, fun things. It's going to be me, Nick, and Paul talking about comics and and, and other stuff. We're going to do some uh, some retrospective, I think. I don't know, over the last six years worth of I read comic books. And, uh, yeah, so hopefully if you can make it, please be there Sunday at 1 p.m. We'd love it if we had a bunch of people so we could do a live Q&A. And uh, we're going to have a very if you don't listen live, that's fine. The episode is also going to have like a really cool edited together um, interview series that we did with everyone on the show. And I think you're all going to really like it because everything that I've talked to everybody about so far has been incredible and really fun. So uh, I hope you you all enjoy it next week. Um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Kara at Kara Estam. You can follow Renee at Rodrigo 29. And you can follow me at Mike Rappin and the show at IRCB podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Sorry, I was gonna do a Rizzo the Rat thing for it. I can't. Oh, okay. I can't. I okay. can't. I can't. I can't. I'm gonna end up losing it. <clears throat> All right, they're they're claiming uh, that we need a Muppets. I know, outro. and that's why I was like trying to be like, and I am. Re- I don't know. It's so hard. <laughs> that's so hard. <laughs> I believe Commit. No, I can't. <laughs> this oh episode God. first aired on Patreon, which is what part is of America. Part of America, the greatest nation in the planet. And is possible because of our wonderful patrons. Join today for exclusive series like IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, and America. Join now at patreon.com slash IRCB podcasts. (laughs) Mike, do you want that to be the real one? Yes, I do. We're going to keep it. We're keeping it. Renee, you gotta try one voice for this next one. You gotta do it. If you haven't already, please rate and review our show five stars on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us spread the word about IRCB and Gonzo the Great. Ah! <laughs> yes. Oh yes, my God, it. yes. Join the IRCB Discord community to chat comics and more and listen to our episodes live as we record at ircbpodcast.com slash discord. Kermy, I don't want to finish this. It's not about me and I must practice for my song later. Uh, don't you worry about that. I'll take it from here. Uh, and if you would help us a lot, if you tell your friends or your local comic shop about the show. <laughs> You know what? Come at us. Come at us, Jim Henson. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Xander is a cool guy who makes us sound very cool every week. I want to say thanks to everybody who put up with that, and thanks to everyone for listening. No drums. <laughs> that you. was the one. Drums, 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 drums. Thank you to Danny and Hugh for hanging out with us during the show. Thank you to everyone at home for listening. Thank you, Kara and <laughs> Renee and Statler and Waldorf and Kermit the Frog, Miss Piggy, Gonzo the Great, Rizzo, uh, and Lizzo. <laughs> if you're listening, let us know. Comics, uh, until, <laughs> until next time. 
Comics good. You too. <laughs> Is it over? It felt like an eternity. Whoa! <laughs> Excuse me. Zero five second mark. Zero five. Clap. Cool. <laughs> Shut up, Renee. I'm sorry. I just I wasn't expecting it. It was uh, every time. Every time. It was Renee. perfect. Every was time. Perfect. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Xander to put together a super cut of all the times we've all done claps, and uh, it's just <laughs> that's episode three hundred right there. I just uh-huh. I just want him to make a montage of all the claps to that that stupid song that's just like. And then it's just it's Kara in the background just clap 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 clap. But it's like auto tune, so it's like it's the clapping, right? It's all of us just clapping, and then it's Kara's saying clap, put to the tune of Mr. Sandman, and it's just clap 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 clap. He can do it. He's an he's an audio wizard. Um. Okay. Let's uh. Let's. What makes you think I don't already suffer from nightmares? All right, I'm I'm starting the show. Give me five seconds of silence, please.